Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 146. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And this week we're asking, what is the Fed going to do? What is the Fed options or what, what's, what's the options the Fed has at its disposal? Are they really going to raise rates early? Are they going to pare back all of their bond buying completely? And what's going on in the overnight reverse repo market? So the Federal Reserve uh, will meet in, uh, I think it's next week. Yeah, next week they should be meeting. And this comes off the heels of a couple different, we had Chairman Powell who testified in front of Congress. And also, of course, you know, there's media appearances and things like that. And he seemed to take a more hawkish stand, hawkish meaning more apt to raise rates or reduce the the amount of, let's say, bond buying, bond buying on a monthly basis. Now, of course, in November, uh, they did take back some of the, uh, well, here's what they did. So they, they, they've been buying $120 billion a month between treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. And what they did was they said, well, we're going to, uh, we're going to pare that back. We're going to reduce, not end, but reduce the amount of monthly purchases we are doing. So they're buying, you know, a hundred and what is, yeah, 120 billion a month. And so if you pair that back, you, you pair it down to 105 billion every month. So they're adding treasuries and they're buying mortgage backed securities or MBS for our discussion. Now, the idea is that when you buy treasuries, remember, rates do have a, a supply and demand function. And so bond prices go up, rates go down. It's the inverse. So there's that seesaw. And so by buying bonds, they are a willing buyer supply, or I should say, de- keeping demand high. That's the theory, right? And if they withdraw that, let's say, uh, I don't want to call it stimulus, but if they if they withdraw that support, then rates might might rise. So, by the way, and and uh, if they reduced, so let's say they came in, they reduced fifteen billion a month from here on out. Now they started that in November. So let's say they reduced that every month, and they're like, okay, we're going to reduce it another fifteen billion, another fifteen billion. Uh, the back of the uh, the envelope math says they would stop buying bonds every month by next June. So I want to be clear. They're not, by doing that last time, they're not raising rates. They're not eliminating the Fed going out and buying bonds. What they're doing is they're reducing the amount of their monthly purchases. And if, and this is a big if, uh, that trend were to continue, and if they kept on that same pace, meaning reduce every month. So next month, they'll reduce another $15 billion. And hence, you can start to, you know, now it's cumulative. So now, okay, this month and next month, it's $30 billion total. And then the month after that, okay, now it's $45 billion less we're doing. Um, remember, they were doing $120 billion a month. And if they kept doing that, you could say, okay, well, by next June, and we're going to get to the probabilities of rate hikes in a second. So this is one of the, the policy tools that they have. So they could, okay, so here's what they could do. 
they could buy more bonds. I don't think anyone's saying that every month. They could also stay at, you know, we reduced our purchases by 15 billion. We're buying 15 billion less every month in bonds. They could just keep at that number. They could also announce an additional tapering, I'll call it, where they uh, they reduce their monthly bond purchases even more by some amount. So that's that's one of the first things they have at their disposal. And why would they do that? Why would the Fed you know raise rates and their bond purchases? Well, it comes back to inflation, and so the Fed had called inflation temporary transitory, any number of other words for it. And last week, or actually on, on Friday, the, uh, the year-over-year inflation rate hit the highest level on a year-over-year basis since uh, uh, you know, 1982. So what exactly happened there? Well, so inflation and it's, it's uh, the way that, so when you see the headline number, it says it it went up 6.8% in November. It doesn't mean prices went up 6.8% in November. What it means is when you look at November, uh, so the CPI, the, the uh, Consumer Price Index, it's a basket of goods and you throw TVs and medical care and education and soup, everything in there. And they're weighted differently. Obviously, you don't buy as, you know, you're not going to weight the index 80% soup. It's, it's about 30 to 35%. Uh, shelter, which is living expenses. So what they did was they said the number, the CPI level at through the end of November in 2021, and they looked at the change of what that CPI index was back in 2020 of November. And so year over year, meaning trailing 12 months, it's up 6.8%. October 21, uh, looking back compared to October of 20, it was up 6.2%. And that was the highest year-over-year number we'd seen since, I believe it was 1993 or 1994. 6.8% uh, on a year-over-year basis is the highest we've seen since um, 1982. And by the way, 81 is when inflation sort of crested or hit its, its high point and then started to come down, as did uh, interest rates and, and things like that. So that's why there's a lot of new talk about the Fed saying, okay, do we need to take away some of the, uh, the stimulus that's in the markets? Do we need to try and do something to help curb the increase or the rate of change or the rate of increase in the inflation rates and the inflation numbers? And so that's why you're hearing a lot of this. Now, I will say that, and I'll pull up here as we're, uh, as we're talking, the Cleveland Fed uh, does something called an inflation now cast. And I've talked about it before on the show. And so if I just look at their now cast, the now cast, basically what happens is that they bring in data points. And as each little bit of data comes in, then they update their now cast. So their, their inflation year over year for December, which won't come out until January, their now cast number, and that changes... It's not a certainty, but they're saying plus 6.98% uh, is what they're, they're forecasting right now. Um, by the way, at the same time, uh, we also follow the GDP Now numbers, the GDP Nowcast from the Atlanta Fed. 
same thing. It takes little bits of data as it comes in and updates their forecast. Uh, their latest forecast for Q4 through December 9th was a rise in GDP of 8.7%. That is higher than the consensus estimates for Q4, which are slightly above 5%. So again, nowcast, not certain. Every bit of data that comes in updates it. So what else could the Fed do? What else might they do? Well, they could change their language more. They could pare back their monthly bond buying by a greater amount. They, in theory, could end their bond buying, but uh, I think that would be a little bit of a shock to, to markets. It seems like the Fed, and especially Chairman Powell, do like to couch their language a little bit and help guide uh, the markets and so not shock them. I would say that would certainly be a shock if they just all of a sudden said, yeah, we're not just going to reduce, we're going to get rid of it altogether. The other thing they could do is, is raise interest rates. Now, here's one of the interesting things too. And I've done prior episodes on the idea of supply change and, and shipping container rates, supply and demand, supply side versus demand side. I'm not completely sure that raising rates or changing the bond buying will actually adjust the inflation that much. You could argue that, that this is caused by a supply side issue. And I'm, I'm not going to be the, you know, I've, I've covered this ad nauseum on, on prior shows. Uh, but certainly as the stimulus went out, it was, there was more demand that came in, different type of demand. And then, of course, uh, I've, I've back and backwards and forwards. I've covered the uh, the rise in shipping container rates and the fact that you've got ships out off the coast of uh, California that are waiting, and trade imbalances between China and the U.S. and different things like that. Uh, but there is there is some discussion and there is some question about hey, if the Fed raised rates to you know from essentially zero to tw- uh, to a, from a zero to 0.25% to 5% tomorrow, would that really get rid of all the inflation? Um, and there's still the question of, you know, a lot of uh, people have said, look, in 2022, we expect the highs to be in on inflation as some of the more supply chain stuff gets worked out. So anyway, so they could, they could, ri- they could raise interest rates. And so interest rates right now are zero to 0.25%. And when I say zero to 0.25, you'll also hear people say the range is zero to 25 basis points. So one basis point would be 0.0 or 0.01 to 0.02 would be an increase of one basis points, just so you can, uh, you can sort of frame the, uh, the discussion. And of course, there's an effective funds rate. Uh, The effective funds rate is, and we've got Fed funds futures, we've got, uh, but basically it's it's eight basis points right now. So 0.08%. And that's according to the uh, the New York, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York publishes the daily Fed funds data and historical rates on there as well. The target range is zero to 25 basis points, but it's eight basis points right now. So it's actually at the, the lower end of the range. So they, they could 
adjust, and what a lot of people are saying is they may increase the reduction in how much they're buying every month and at some point get to uh, uh, to an area where they say, okay, now we're going to raise interest rates. What does the market think about that? Well, the market is a voting machine. And one of the ways it votes on interest rates is through the, uh, the CME or Chicago Mercantile Exchange, futures exchange, is the Fed Fund's future. And the way these work is, so I'm looking right now at the Fed Fund's future that expires, uh, looks like the 15th of December, and its price is 99.9175. You say, well, what does that even mean? Well, the, the interest rate that is sort of implying there is if you take 100 minus 99.9175, guess what? You get 7.25 uh, basis points, so 0 0.075 basically the effective Fed funds rate. And so that pricing informs us as to what the implied interest rate is from the future. So each of these, and I'll post a, a link to the, the probabilities on the CME of the site, they post it there and they change. They change and you can see what it was a day ago, a week ago, a month ago. A month ago, there was 100% probability that the Fed would not do anything. Uh, today, there's a 2.2% probability that they would raise from 0 to 25 bips or basis points to 25 to 50 basis points. That would be a quarter point increase, uh, but still not indicated as very, very likely. We go out to January, and we can see now there's a 7% probability and a tiny, tiny, tiny probability. I'm talking 0.1%, almost nothing of them going to uh, you know half a point to three quarters of a point, but still about 93% probability. Uh, you go out to March, and I'm not just gonna read all these, but I realize I'm looking at it and you can't see it because we're on a podcast. But if I look at March 16th expiration futures, here it's uh, about a 64% chance. They're still at the same rate today, zero to 25. About a 33.6% chance, 25 to 50 basis points and 2.2 percent chance of 50 to 75. Where it starts to flop, though, is with the May meeting, uh, only 42 point, I'll call it 43 percent probability it's where we are now. So they're, they're forecasting in um, a little more than 50 percent chance that there'll be a rate rise. And then you start to get to June, and there's like an 80 percent chance now that by the June meeting, there'll be they'll be higher than where they are today. So each of these, the way that these work, like if I go out to December of 22, I can see that there's very little probability that people think it will be zero to 25. Um, in fact, you know, the probability is, uh, if you can imagine a bell curve, it's anywhere from a half point to a, a full point. So these are interesting markets to follow and it gives you the implied rate. And so the market or the implied, uh, let's just say be, between, uh, we'll know a little more with the Fed meeting that's coming up. But based upon that, it seems like Fed watchers are saying they think they're going to wind down these asset purchases and then raise rates uh, maybe two times. Uh, 
yeah, I think I think maybe two times is the uh, is kind of what they're uh, they're looking at. That's all subject to change. We don't know. I can tell you, I looked at this two months ago, and it was completely different, completely different. So we'll see what happens there. The other thing I want to touch on, and I did an episode on this. It's actually one of the the highest downloaded episodes I've ever done, and that was on the re- overnight reverse repo market that the Fed is engaged with. And I really explained what it is. Um, and so I'm going to link to that in the show notes. And I encourage you to give that a listen and, and share that one. Uh, by the way, if, if uh, anybody has questions on, on how I invest with clients or how, how we sort of develop strategies and manage risk, uh, I'll, I'll just throw out my best way to contact me is Derek.more. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at zegafinancial.com. That's Z as in zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple, and then financial.com. Derek.more at zegafinancial.com. And uh, before we move into a little discussion on the overnight repos and, and sort of what I'm seeing there and, and maybe a little nuance that still needs to be ironed out, I don't think anyone's talking about that, by the way. Uh, but do email me if you have questions or if obviously uh, you have suggestions on maybe a guest that we should we should bring in or uh, just a topic. Uh, we've had uh, a number of inquiries about the Fed, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this this episode today on what I think to uh, to expect to hear in the financial news over the next uh, couple of months. So, all right, let's talk about the overnight reverse repo market. Uh, to put this in perspective, I think on uh, let's see, on Friday the Fed did 1.57 trillion dollars in overnight reverse uh, repurchase agreements, and that's essentially where the the Fed exchanges treasury bonds and they take in cash. And the people on the other side of that equation or or the other side of that transaction are are institutions, a lot of money market funds. And so they, uh, they, there's not enough short duration, really short. I'm talking like, you know, three month treasuries. It's kind of near cash. And we started to see, all right, let me just spend a second on this. So prior to, I'm looking here, June or January 26th, uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm looking at January, February. There's really nothing going on in the overnight reverse repo market. And then all of a sudden you started to see some things pop up. Uh, We saw... Oh, it was about $11 billion. I'm looking, February 26th. And that's interesting. And then they started to uh, ramp up a little bit more. And it was, you know, by April, they're doing $73 billion. And then all of a sudden, by May 28th, they're doing $479 billion. And I'll put a link to this chart. Uh, of course, like most things I talk about, you can find this on the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Uh, also, they call it FRED. So if you Google something and just type in FRED, F-R-E-D, a lot of times they'll uh, they'll put you right to the, uh, the St. Louis Fed site, 
which has a wealth of information. So what was going on in you know, February into March, April, May? What, what happened there that we started to see these? One of the things I started to notice, um, and I, don't, I, I can't say I was watching it really diligently, but one of the things you just saw was that anytime uh, there was an auction for treasuries, meaning these are new treasuries that are issued and they're put out and, and people make bids on them, they were oversubscribed, meaning there was more money or more buyers than there were supply. And we started to see, if you look at a three-month treasury, sometimes we call this a 13-week treasury bill. So these only, you know, they they get put out and 13 weeks later, they, they mature. And the rate on those, it was very small, but it was only about, you know, 10 basis points. And if you look at a range, I mean, 10 to 12 basis points, maybe on the uh, the downside, it was, uh, you know, 9, 9, 10, 12 basis points. So 0.10 would be 10 basis points. So percent. Um, that's 0.10 is, you know, nothing, right? So then something interesting happens. I, I start to see the three-month treasury bills coming down and down. And they actually hit, I uh, believe it was March 17th, intraday the 13-week treasury bill or three-month treasury bill, whatever you want to call it, uh, they had a negative yield to maturity intraday. I don't believe they closed there. They actually closed on, let's see, the 18th of, of March at a single basis point, 0.01%. And so what I was seeing is the, the, the basis points or, or the, the interest rate on these three-month treasuries uh, really started to fall. And in fact, intraday went negative. And that's when you started to see the Federal Reserve come in and start to do these overnight uh, reverse repurchase agreements. And what does that mean? Well, it means is these institutions have to put their cash somewhere. There's not enough uh, short duration treasuries to, to be absorbed. And so rates, at least intraday, they didn't close there, but rates were going down and, and intraday they were negative for uh, a few instances. And if you have a negative three-month treasury, remember what I told you the, the bounds were for the, the Fed funds rate. It was 0% to a quarter point, uh, one quarter percent, zero to 25 basis points. And so if rates went negative on, I'll call it near cash or you know the shortest duration paper, that would be outside the Fed funds rate. And so by doing this, these pay a rate. And so basically the Fed comes in, and this is my opinion, that, that they came in and said, well, we don't want interest rates, uh, again, just, no one's uh, from the Fed, I think, has officially said this, but we don't think interest rates, we, we can't have them going negative when our Fed funds floor is zero. And so we'll, we'll go lend out uh, treasuries overnight, taking the cash, and we'll, we'll put a, you know, I think they were doing them at five basis points, 0.05%. And so, hey, you know, you can you can go buy treasuries, but if you come to us and we do these these uh, reverse repos overnight, you at least get five basis points. So they so sort of put a floor in very short term rates. But that uh, that has uh, continued to they've continued to be in that market, 
And I bring this up because it, it's just sort of an interesting thing to, uh, to take a look at. And you can look at the Fed's balance sheet. And so the Federal Reserve, uh, it's something called, uh, uh, if you Google it, Federal Reserve, the H.4.1 uh, report. And this is a statistical release. It's actually the factors affecting reserve balances. And you can go in there and you can see what they're holding on the balance sheet. And currently they've got, uh, let me see what, this is as of December 8th. I'm not sure when it will be updated yet again, but a little over $1.787 trillion in reverse repurchase uh, agreements that are on the Fed's balance sheet. To give you a little bit of uh, you know context, total, they have, uh, let's see, about $5.6 trillion in U.S. Treasuries on the balance sheet across different maturities, about $2.5 trillion of MBS or mortgage-backed securities. And they've got a sprinkling in of different things. And so, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, what are they? They're over like nine trillion on their balance sheet right now. I think I'm, I, I didn't total it up before the broadcast, but so what's sort of interesting is, um, and what I haven't worked out in my head yet, and normally I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm, I'm just sharing some of my thinking with you, is that it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. And I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing, but I think there's there's a lot of demand for treasuries, especially the, the short duration treasuries. And so even if let's say the Fed, and you know, it depends too, they could auction off more of those on the short end, uh, but there, there's ample demand for, especially in the short end of the curve for treasuries. And what I haven't worked out in my head yet, what that means if the Fed stops buying altogether their, their monthly purchases, what does that look like? Uh, for example, they added about 11.9 billion in the last, um, let's see. I don't know if this is over the last week or over the last month, but uh, about 11.9 billion of treasuries that expire between 16 and 90 days. So they've purchased that. And you know they're still purchasing ones that are over 10 years, about 3.6 billion. Uh, five to 10, about 3.5. I won't read all these off. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think these are monthly numbers, by the way. So I, I just bring this up because there's still all that demand. And even if they were to stop, let's say, uh, purchasing treasuries, or if they were to, to raise rates, I'm not sure on the short end, um, how that's all, all going to be worked out. Of course, they could still do the reverse repos. They could do you know any number of things there. So that's something to watch. And I don't know if it's anything. Uh, and I'm not saying it's going to cause any difficulties for the markets, uh, as many people have heard me say. You know, we really don't know what the market's going to do. We make, I mean, we have our own opinions. But it's the idea of you know just being invested, but being hedged. And again, uh, you know, shoot me an email, Derek at SegaFinancial.com if you want information on that type of stuff. But you know, we, we, we believe in being invested, staying hedged, for the, on a, especially on a large core holding. Um, so you're going to hear about this. 
this is going to be inflation. You're already hearing about this. And I always, I sort of joke around sometimes, but if you watch local news, sometimes they have a, a cupcake baker on. There's nothing wrong with cupcakes. But local news does local news. Typically, they don't do financial news. And when the markets are down a lot, sometimes they actually put the little, uh, in the bottom right-hand corner, like a picture of what the Dow Jones is doing. And you start to hearing about on, on local news. And I always joke that that's sort of a contrarian indicator, that when, by the time the local news gets it, that uh, you know the bottom's already in. But I got to tell you, I mean, at, at, when that came out Friday, uh, local news was on that evening. And they ran a lot of stories about prices. So the Fed um, has said it was transitory, has said it would iron itself out. Uh, it, it has continued. That now cast says uh, it, it looks like, again, it can change, that we're going to see some, some numbers in, uh, uh, in December as well based upon the, uh, or sorry, the, the, December, the January announcement of the December numbers is still uh, forecasted to be a little bit higher. Um, remember, there's CPI and there's core CPI. Core is without food and energy. I got to tell you, too, I dug into that, the BLS, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics report, which breaks down the different categories. And, and food is, uh, you know, I saw some of the meats were up 10 to 15% year over year. And energy is certainly up, although it's come off its, its highs. And housing, I think, was up as well, over 4% year over year. So, all right, maybe, maybe I'll do another episode, uh, again, breaking down inflation at some point. But I wanted to just go over what I think you're going to be hearing out with the Federal Reserve. You know, stay invested, but stay, stay hedged. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to go through that. By the way, share this with someone rather than, I mean, you can, you can give us five stars. I mean, I encourage you to do that. I get, you know, if you want to give a nice review uh, and five stars, that's great. Uh, if you want to give a, a bad review, I suppose you just want to listen again. But you know, give give a good review. But share this. Share this with someone who you think might appreciate it, might be interested. And uh, I'll I'll say again, November was the highest number of listens and downloads and all that stuff we've ever had on the show. So thank you very much, and we hope that continues. We will see you next week. 